Good morning. It does seem like a very good morning. So I hope you all are rested well, getting ready for another day of Dharma adventures. And even though it's only the second full day of the retreat, I can feel we've already started to develop some very useful resources for this journey. And we've already touched into quite a few themes that I'd like to continue exploring today. But just before we continue with any more information, let's just take a moment, just a few moments of silence, and to sense in again, how are you now? Because as we know, sensitive beings constantly changing. So I don't know your exact inner experience right now, but from the outside, from the energy that I'm sensing in the room right now, there does seem to be quite a bit more settledness, steadiness, stillness, compared even to yesterday morning. And the settledness, the steadiness, the stillness, these are all aspects of samadhi, the mind that's gathered, unified, absorbed. So remembering that metaphor of the bowl of water that I mentioned last night, the analogy that the Buddha used for the mind to illustrate how it's affected by the hindrances, feels to me now that our bowls of water are getting a little calmer and clearer. And to some extent, this is just a natural organic process that happens as we settle more fully into these beautifully supportive retreat conditions. It just takes time to let the stresses and the strains and the burdens of ordinary life begin to release. So another analogy that's sometimes used for this process is a jar of muddy pond water that's filled with sediment. And if we just set that jar aside and leave it alone, the sediment naturally settles out. So the water that was cloudy, muddy, turbid begins to clarify very naturally in response to the work of gravity. And eventually that water becomes crystal clear. In a way that's similar to the process we're going through here of just letting the sludge settle out or wash through. However, one of the challenges to this process, one of the things that tends to keep that sediment stirred up, is our very deeply ingrained habit of doing so doing is pretty much the default mode in our mainstream society. So of course we bring this same approach to our meditation practice. We talk about doing our meditation practice. And I have to admit, I give you all kinds of instructions that tell you what to do. When in some ways, mostly what we need to learn is how to be. So having named that, I don't want to set up just another duality of doing versus being, because we need both. But because we're so easily drawn to the doing side, we easily fall into the trap of thinking, okay, so now I'm supposed to 
be, not do. So how do I do being instead of doing? And what am I supposed to do now to make that happen? And we get, of course, tangled into that. And we see how our default conditioning tends to turn everything into a project. Everything becomes grounded in polarities of right and wrong and good and bad and success and failure. So as many of you know, to try to get around that, I usually invite people to frame their retreat in terms of exploring and enjoying. Many of you have heard me extend that invitation to explore and enjoy with the intention to help us release some of that anxiety about not getting it right or doing it right. But even there, we can make exploring and enjoying into a project just like we can make relaxed diligence into a project. Okay, am I being diligent enough now? I don't think I am. So maybe that means I'm more on the relaxed end, but I don't really feel relaxed. So if I'm not relaxed, does that mean I'm diligent? No, that doesn't feel true either. What if I'm neither? What did she say to do if we're not diligent or relaxed? So you might recognize perhaps some variation on that theme. Or some other similar flavor of that inner chatter, that internal monologue that tends to mutter away in the background or at times come to the foreground, become very loud and insistent and stir up the water of the mind. Stirring it up into one or more of the hindrances that I mentioned last night. So each of us probably has our own favorite themes for those inner monologues and I don't know exactly what the themes might be for each of you, but I'm pretty confident that what they all have in common is that those themes tend to center around a sense of me and my practice and who I am and how I'm doing. When we pay attention to those thought worlds that our minds are constantly constructing, we see that that constructing and reconstructing is centering around an identity, someone at the center to whom all experience is happening. So bringing this back to our exploration of clinging and release, this I-making and my-making tendency of the mind is a very powerful form of clinging. In fact, it's the core form of clinging that creates and enhances all of our dukkha, all of our suffering. Without some mindfulness training, the problem is that we're so habituated to that that we don't even see it as clinging. We don't understand it because that constant self-referencing and self-constructing is just the water that we're swimming in. So it's mostly invisible to us. But here on retreat, as we continue sensitizing ourselves to these energetic movements of clinging and resisting and the moments of temporarily release, we can start to see more clearly how that self-constructing habit contracts us into a small, tight and fixed way of being in the world. Anybody recognize that at times? how that sense of expansiveness suddenly catches or fixates on a particular thought and the whole world 
becomes small and narrow. So the antidote to that clinging, contraction and solidifying into a small sense of self is as often as we remember to reorient to spaciousness. So as one of you mentioned yesterday in the afternoon relational practice, when there's mindfulness, we have a choice about where we direct our attention. With awareness, we can choose whether to continue reinforcing the tension, the tightness, the narrowing, or to open up to more ease and spaciousness. And similar to what we were doing yesterday, we can orient to spaciousness in the body to begin with, by inviting the body to relax and to open up. So even right now, whatever posture you're in, you might just sit up a little taller, a little bit straighter. Might let the spine extend upwards just a little. And then the shoulders can become more broad and soften. You could take a few deeper breaths. And as you breathe out, tune in to that sense of softening, relaxing, releasing. It comes with each exhalation. Just sensing into that sense of spaciousness in the body. As you find that, you might notice how that spaciousness affects the heart and the mind too. Perhaps the heart feels just a little more open. And the mind just a little more expansive. And again, we can't force this. We're not trying to manufacture anything here. We can't make ourselves relax or force ourselves to be more spacious. We can't do this being because that becomes just another form of clinging. But what we can do is set up the conditions that support more ease and more openness. So in last night's talk on the five hindrances, I was mostly focusing on what gets in the way of spaciousness. And then right towards the end, I invited you to notice how it feels when the hindrances are weaker, or possibly even temporarily absent. And this morning, I'd like to go go a bit further with what supports that spaciousness. By bringing in the heart quality of metta, or kindness. So I mentioned metta briefly last night as being goodwill and how it can be used as an antidote to ill will or aversion. But metta is not only an antidote 
for when some form of reversion has come up, it's also a very powerful protectant, one that prevents that ill will from arising in the first place. So I sometimes think of metta as being like vitamin C for our emotional immune system. And as you all know, at least at times in your own experience, when the heart-mind is abiding in some degree of metta, life's little annoyances and irritations tend to just slide off. So in the meditation this morning, I'd like to orient us to this heart quality of kindness, goodwill, universal friendliness but not so much in the way that metta is traditionally practiced, where we recite phrases of well-wishing and offer them to different people. Phrases like, may you be safe, may you be healthy, may you be happy, may you know peace. Instead of that more traditional way, I'd like to experiment with an energy-based approach to metta. So it might become more a way of being, rather than something we do. So usually we talk about doing our metta practice. But this morning, I'll just be inviting us to open up space in the heart and the mind to see if metta might more naturally arise. It's actually already there for all of us. It is the natural state of the heart and mind when the visiting afflictive states are released. So it's already there for all of us, but it might possibly be buried under a few layers of sediment. But as our hearts and minds settle and the water becomes clear, it's possible that matter might naturally begin to bubble up through the sediment. So this is an experiment, and I encourage you to approach it with that attitude of exploring and enjoying rather than looking for results. Let's give that a try.